Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. So often, we can take things for granted that are present in our everyday lives, like the air we breathe or the lungs that we use to breathe that air, even the fingers that help us make a cup of coffee in the morning, or our ability to smell and taste after a fresh brew. Today, Pastor Jim says every part of the body is necessary. This is true for the church body as well. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of thinking you don't have something to add or someone else can do it better. Every part of the body matters. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Church Needs You. So last week, the Apostle Paul called Timothy to loyalty to the mission of the good news of Jesus Christ, and he told him to guard the truth that had been entrusted to him. And the next few verses may seem out of place, but they really aren't. They're both very personal and very practical. And the Apostle Paul illustrates two possibilities, really, to Timothy. Some people will be loyal to the gospel, and some people are not loyal to the gospel. And usually the Bible divides very cut and dry into two types of people. The sad truth is, and I'm sure most of you can attest to this either in your own life at some point in time or people that you know, is that many people think they are a lot more faithful to the faith than they really are. And quite often, people are turning away from the faith without realizing that they are, and really easy in our self-centered culture. On the other side of the coin is this. And this is something you see if you're around the church long enough, is the most faithful people don't think they are the most faithful. <laughs> They're like blind to it, and yet they just faithfully serve the Lord week in, week out, not looking for notoriety, not looking to be known, just serving the Lord because they love him. And so I've entitled the message, Why the Church Needs You, Why the Church Needs You. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. We left off, we finished through verse 14 last time, so we'll pick it up in verse 15. He says, this you know, some of you have heard say this, you are aware of, that all those in Asia, now let's just stop for a second. This is Asia the province, not Asia the continent. All those in Asia have turned away from me. Some of you have heard say, have deserted me, among whom are, or including... Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, probably they were just ashamed of their names, so they just said, we don't want to be around people anymore. Could you imagine meeting someone? What's your name? Oh, it's Phygelus. You're like, you're kidding me. <laughs> right? So you can just picture Paul saying to Timothy, you know, um, so many of the people that we have counted on to be with us in this difficult season that we're in. Caesar's starting to put the clamps down on, on the Christian faith. So many of the people that we counted on have abandoned ship. They've abandoned their loyalty to us, Timothy. And more importantly, they've abandoned the gospel. Phygelus and Hermogenes, we don't know exactly much about them. They may have been the leaders of the defection. And most certainly, this would have pained the Apostle Paul. He had 
no doubt poured some time into these people, prayed for them, they abandoned the faith, and they abandoned Jesus. Now, this shows you that when you see stuff like this in the Bible, it's always good to remember, this kind of stuff shows you that the Bible is true. This is no way to build a religion. You get the leader of the faith, Jesus is gone, he's the leader of the worldwide faith, and everybody abandons him. No, he's supposed to be the guy who rallies the troops, get everybody together, everybody's with the Apostle Paul, nor would if somebody else wrote this, and they were trying to build a religion, would they write it either, because it doesn't give any credibility to the religion at all. So sometimes in the Bible, you have to look at some of the stars of the Bible look so bad (laughs) that you think, nobody in their right mind would try and build a religion this way. So again, that testifies to the truth. It's not clear what's going on here exactly. It could be a personal abandonment by these guys of the true gospel, or it could be they're just trying to get people to dislike the Apostle Paul, and that was very common. Sadly, both are common today. One of the fastest ways to grow a church is to destroy your own church or to destroy the pastor and his reputation. That's a great way if you want to get people to start following after you. Of course, I would not personally want to meet God having done that because the fallout doesn't usually happen from the pastor that's left and the pastor that did all the mistakes or you know tried to draw people unto themselves. It's usually the flock that scatters. And so I'm like, I don't would not want to mess with, with God's flock at all. That's why when I was on staff at a church, some guys sort of went kind of close to the church that I was on staff on. And I told my pastor, I said, I'm going at least an hour away. I'm going to teach a Bible study. And he said, well, what happens if nobody comes? And I said, to quote the Terminator, I'll be back. <laughs> I did not want to mess with, with that at all. Especially this happens when the defector, and there's a lot of this that goes on, was caught in something that the leaders did not announce to the people. A lot of times we just say, you know, don't go away mad, just go away. You know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. The, the kinds of same stuff we say to people are just, you know, just let's just go away peacefully. And you agree that's what you're going to do. And then they don't do that. And what hopefully would bring about repentance in some people actually brings about more rebellion. It gets even worse than it was before. Also, it's possible that we don't know. Some were asked to testify on behalf of the Apostle Paul, and they refused. Well, maybe they were afraid. Like, oh, you're one of them. Okay, well, you get down in the dungeon now too. We'll take your head off next week. And so you don't know. Or again, it could be some sort of a power grab. Some people, when things get a little difficult, completely run away from the faith. Others move over to a, a false gospel that's sort of going to tell them what they, they want to hear. In our day of mass media, the number of pastors who have defected to a false gospel, and they, a lot of them know it's a false gospel, to draw a crowd is quite huge. It works. You can buy books on it. It'll tell you how to do it. It works. But regardless of the circumstances, Paul wants us to see this is the way of unfaithfulness, to desert the faith. It's a way of unfaithfulness among leaders and followers. Verse 16 and 17 takes us to the way of faithfulness. So if you want to put verse 15 is the way of unfaithfulness, this is the way of faithfulness. 
and this has a name in it that is just not easy to say. The Lord grant mercy to the house of that guy, <laughs> Onesiphorus. Now, some think he has died. Why? It says, before he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Some versions say he sought me out very diligently. Another version says very eagerly. So the Apostle Paul holds up to Timothy, Onesiphorus, as a model follower of Jesus. And he says there was two things that he did. He said he refreshed me. In other words, he was an encouragement to me. And he was not ashamed of me. He didn't say, like, I don't know that guy at all. And so there's a good chance that he visited the Apostle Paul. Maybe he brought some food. He brought joy with him. Nor was he ashamed to be associated with the Apostle Paul. And again, that's no small thing. When a religion is illegal or someone is a government prisoner, it's risky to visit them because that is sometimes guilt by association. And so it's quite possible that Onesiphorus could have been arrested while he was showing kindness to the Apostle Paul. And so he was, he was kind of a risk taker. This is a verse we read last week. I'll read it again. Jesus said this, Mark 8, 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So when we look at verse 17 here in 2 Timothy, far from being ashamed, we're told that he sought me out very zealously, very diligently, very eagerly. That reminds us about something that I think is very, very important about following Jesus, about, about the Christian life. It's going to require, on our part, persistent and energetic grace-motivated effort. It's not like you just, and a lot of people just say, we well, just pray the prayer and you're set. That's, I don't know what Bible they're not reading, but that's not what it says. So he points out that he very zealously sought him out. And it seems to me that a lot of people are too passive in their Christian faith. Too passive. You know, this very rarely does somebody, sometimes somebody's like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake. Very rarely does anybody make a mistake. I mean, I could probably count in the 18 years we've been here, I could probably count on one hand where somebody's made a mistake and it's like, oh man, I can't believe they did that one, right? It's just very, very rare, you know? And, and we know that if, it, if I could count that on one hand, God is like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, he's, he's seen it all. And people are very passive. And I think part of it we have to realize is that Jesus took definitive action for us. He took action for us. It wasn't just standing around, you know, it's like, okay, Lord, do something. You know, okay, Father, do something. He took action for us. And we respond again with grace, motivated effort, motivated by grace and it's important for us to remember when it comes to taking action, a lot of people say, well, you're preaching works. Well, the Bible does say in Ephesians 2.10, after we are saved, we are saved unto good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved unto good works. But it's important to remember that the good works that we do, the action that we take, that the church 
needs us to do that, and the world needs us to do that. I mean, you know, just think, somebody once told you about Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're listening. But somebody once took a step of faith and told you about Jesus. That was action on their part. And we need to do the same thing for other people. Verse 18, verse 18 seems like somewhat of a prayer. And it says, the Lord, or some verses say, may the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus or the services he rendered to me at Ephesus. So again, people debate whether Onesiphorus, I'm losing his name now, is dead, is dead or alive. Now, again, it's the same thing we encountered last Sunday. Some say he's dead, so if this is a prayer that we're supposed to pray for the dead, this is exactly how bad doctrine starts. Someone thinks about something or they suppose something, and then they adapt a bunch of earthly logic to it instead of looking what the text says. Nowhere in the Word of God is this prescribed. Rather, the Apostle Paul is doing what? He's reminding Timothy that the Lord will remember. The Lord will remember what he did and the ways he ministered to him, okay? Because he says, the Lord will grant him mercy in that day. So he's, what is he saying? Timothy, listen, don't forget this. I'm gonna be gone soon, but the Lord will remember men and women of the ministry and he will remember their service, and every Christian is in the ministry, and the Lord shows mercy to people who show mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus said this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Another version says they shall receive mercy. Another version says they shall be shown mercy. So, so then, Rather than speculate, what seems obvious here is even the best followers of Jesus will need the mercy of the Lord in that day. They'll need the mercy of the Lord in that day. At the second coming, the work of Jesus Christ and the mercy of God is our only hope and the certainty of eternity in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. At the second coming, the work of Jesus Christ and the mercy of God is our only hope. That's our only hope of our certainty of eternity in the kingdom of God. Now, don't forget, Timothy was in Ephesus. The place was a complete mess. They had the Apostle Paul for like three years. The place was still a mess. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul told the leaders when he was leaving, some of you guys are going to rise up among you. You're going to be traitors to the cause. Like what I just said earlier, you're probably like, no, people don't do that. They don't, they, don't, they don't try to make the previous leader look bad or try to split the church or something like that. No, unfortunately, it happens in the Bible and happening all throughout history. And so the Apostle Paul is using Onesiphorus as an example to follow of faithfulness. He said, you saw that guy. Be like him. Be like him. And the Apostle Paul knows we're saved by grace, and he also knows that the grace of God 
drives our faithfulness to the end. That's something that's so important for us to know is that grace will drive our faithfulness to the end. And through that grace, through the word of God, through prayer, through obedience to what the Lord has commanded us to do, to, through the example of others, through the thought of that day when we meet the Lord face to face, all of that will move us forward. So here's the question. Is he dead or alive? Answer, not the point. So we get off on these little tangents, and then we, when we do that, we totally miss the point of what is trying to be taught to us. It doesn't matter. The point is what godly, unashamed service to the kingdom of God looks like. He wasn't ashamed. He blessed me. He came. He was, if you say, in it to win it. When we see that, I think we're forced, what we've already seen in these few verses, we're forced to ask ourselves these simple things. Am I a deserter? Or am I a refresher? When things get tough, do I just run away? Or am I going to hang in there and refresh people? Am I ashamed of my faith? Or am I a servant of those around me and, and of the world at large? The kingdom of God, and this is what we must remember, needs all kinds of servants, all kinds from leaders to encouragers to givers to those who work with their hands to those who are prayer warriors. We could go on and on and on. That's why we're described as a body, right? There's all different parts of the body, and they all work together. And when something is out of whack, everything's out of whack, right? Like you stub your toe. You're like, I can't believe it hurts this much, right? So every part of the body is indeed needed, and we should always be very thankful for those God has raised up in our church and continue to pray that he would continue to raise up more people. And people think, oh, they got it all wired around here. They got all these people helping out and stuff like that. We always need more people. So what does unashamed loyalty look like for us? Well, I said for us, I think first it is association with the Lord Jesus Christ and with his Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church. That we are not ashamed to say, you know, we go to church, and I don't know about you, but for years people say, so what's your church like? You know, what, what's it like? I, was, I had dinner last night, and I told the waitress that I, I was a pastor, and she was like, so what's your church like, right? If I did, but but even I don't even need to say I'm a pastor for stuff like that. A lot of times people see you saying grace at dinner, and they're like, so what's up with that? Right? So we want to be, you know, not ashamed of it. And so that would, again, include speaking up about the Lord, persevering through ridicule. I know some of you undergo ridicule from people that you know, but we persevere through that. Listen, if Jesus could persevere to the cross, we can take a little, you know, take one for the team. Or being okay, if people put down our faith instead of just getting all angry with them and fighting with them and just, just praying for them, daily walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in a world that is hostile to the faith and it seemingly is becoming more hostile every day. And 
to continue in faithful service to the kingdom of God, not being half-hearted in our service, but, you know, just like just serving with everything that we have. And the gospel is, is spread through God's people. That's how it works. That's how it happens. You know, just you'd be surprised. People say, you know, oh, I was talking to somebody about Jesus. I said, that was great. I said, they walked up to me because I had a name tag on. <laughs> and they're like, you must be official. <laughs> and I, maybe I should start wearing a name tag. But this is what we do as, as followers of Jesus. And may God give us the desire for knowing him, staying close to him, where speaking Two people about Jesus is just a natural thing. The Bible says, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's sort of like meeting a couple that's engaged. Like, you're like, how's your new job? It's great. Did you know I'm engaged? Right? You know? <laughs> really, like, how's your family doing? They're fine. Did you know we're engaged? How's that new car? It's great. Did you know we're engaged? Right? <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of like one of those things. You're just in love and you just can't, you just can't stop talking about it. All right, now we move into chapter 2, and the soon-to-be-executed Apostle Paul moves from the basics of chapter 1, and he starts to move into the priorities of Timothy, for Timothy, in chapter 2. So he's taught us a lot of basics, reviewed a lot of stuff we already have covered in a lot of other places, but he's moving us into these priorities. If you recall, a couple terms that we used before— I'll just talk about them again. Chapter one was full of indicatives. Indicatives, if you remember, we talked about it a few weeks ago, a few months ago, a few years ago. We've been talking about it for years. Indicatives are what God has done, what God has done. And then chapter two moves into imperatives. So what are the imperatives? It's what, it's what God tells us to do in light of what he has done. If you will, they are the, the necessary responses to what God has done. However, it's important to remember that it's only because of what God has done that enables us to properly serve in the kingdom of God. If we're trying to do this thing on our own, you know, you hear people say, oh, I'm, I'm just burning out. I'm burning out. I'm like, okay, something's wrong. Now, if you're working nonstop, maybe that's, that's it but we want to be fueled by the power of the Spirit. So for the Apostle Paul, theology, the study of God, learning more about God, it motivates a response in him, and he would tell us that it motivates a response in a true follower of Jesus Christ. So what we know about God, the indicatives of what we know about God, about what he has done, okay, produce in us a godly way of living. So the first half of the chapter, which we're not going to cover, we're only going to get into the first couple of verses, but the Apostle Paul begins with endurance. And failure here, failure to endure in the Christian life results in unfaithfulness, but it also results in desertion. And that's what happened to the, the first guys we looked at. They just were not faithful. They were not enduring. And so it's true the Apostle Paul was writing to a church leader in Timothy, but all followers of Jesus as well 
need to endure. And I think the apostle would have no problem telling us there's no excuse for that. And there's no excuse for a lack of participation that we are to continue in the faith. And so the Apostle Paul is going to both encourage and empower Christian service. And obviously God is doing that for us through him. And so what he's going to do is he's going to do it by really initially saying words that are very personal. And sometimes I think when words are personal in the Bible, we need to take them and we need to insert our own names. So look at how he begins chapter two, verse one. You therefore, my son. Just picture God saying to you, you therefore, my son. You therefore, my daughter. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.